Hi guys, welcome back to the podcast. This is the Revive Struggle podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have John Jewett back on the show. We're going to talk all about his recent contest prep. Um, he's going to be taking an off-season, uh, which isn't like John for a while if you've been following him. And we dig into some of his new nutrition approaches during prep and also peaking approaches and much, much more. So guys, this is a really fun chat. You're going to enjoy it. Let's get into it. Hi guys, welcome to the Revive Stronger podcast. I'm your host, as always, Steve Hall. And today I have John Jewett back on the podcast and uh, yeah I'm, I'm very excited to talk to John because as hopefully many of the listeners have also been following along with his prep he has now transitioned into an off season kind of finally it feels like I imagine for you as well in some ways uh, but it's been really enjoyable to see uh, because John shares so much and I was reflecting upon how grateful I was for having like a videographer to follow me sometimes and do th- like do some vlogs because I was like I, I just can't at the moment I can't function that well and we were just talking off air about how surprisingly productive you can be during a prep because it, it does take a lot from you um, but John I want to get a bit of an update on first of all how you're feeling um, and then maybe to walk us through kind of what you achieved this prep um, in terms of even placings, but also what you personally achieved and maybe some lessons. Yeah, well, first off, thanks for having me back on. I appreciate I appreciate just following along my journey and I'm happy to share it. I, I think it's, uh, it, it's, it was always a natural thing because I like to follow along and see the, like the whys behind what people did. And that's what I gravitate to. And like, I, I think, I, I don't know who I picked up some stuff from along the way that was sharing it in that level. I'm like, man, I, I'm just going to put this out. And then it kind of evolved as people like got really engaged with it. I got excited about it. But um, yeah, definitely being uh, in an off season, it's been a long time. You say off season and it's like, when was the last time I was in an <laughs> off season? And it has been, there's been like some segmented little off seasons, but I haven't had a true like good duration where I feel like it can make some solid improvement. So uh it's great to finally have more food. And I think especially just the, uh, the more of being in a state where you know you can actually improve because um, the prep was so long. And yes, you can make improvements in your physique within it, but it's within this context of we're probably not adding muscle. You're probably just fine tuning maybe how you present and posing, maybe getting more conditioned. But to be in a state where you can truly like improve like muscular wise and present a different look on stage is really exciting. Um, also just having the flexibility now of not being so regimented within a prep and uh, you know, Renee and I, my wife, Renee, we did this whole season together competing and we did the best we could to have flexibility, but at the same time, it's still a prep and it is what it is. So now like we're going on dates and we're going out I, here in Texas, like compared to the UK, I know, We've had a lot more stuff like open restaurant wise and business wise. It's pretty much unchanged right now from how it previously was. So we still have a lot of like opportunities to go out, go out and do some date nights. We just did a bunch of Halloween events and now it's like already Christmas. Like yeah. the neighbors already have Christmas lights out. Like it's, it's only November. So we're like going to get on it and really make the most of the holidays. But um, yeah, so it's exciting overall. I still have, I'm not fully recovered diet fatigue wise. Um, cause right now I'm five weeks post-show and I'm up about uh, 11% stage weight ish. Okay. Which is about or the area I kind of tentatively plan to be around. Um, but I still have like some sleep 
derangement there. So fatigue is there day to day, uh, just depending, which, you know, looking back on prep, it's like, man, I think I got better sleep on prep because I was talking with Renee on this. It's like, no, I don't think it was. I think it was more so like, for one, we were uh, using lots of sleep aids to get to sleep. And I'll, I'll be honest, Steve, we would use a lot of Benadryl, um, okay. which is not the uh, ideal thing you want to be using, like along with other things. It was like if you really needed it. Right. Yeah. But I think it was more of a, a sedation versus actually sleep quality. And then during the day, we're like riding on all these stimulants. Um, caffeine would you'd be familiar with. But of course, for us, like we were using other fat loss agents that are stimulatory, like clenbuterol, yeah. I don't know if y'all can use yohimbine or not, but these other things. So it's like the roller coaster ride of like uppers and then downers. And then you feel like, I feel pretty good. It's like, you take all that away. Finally, post-show, you're like, man, why is my energy not as high? I'm like, should have, I have more food and sleep quality still isn't all that great. So it's going to take some time. It's just time really yeah. like Renee's like, what do we do? What are we not doing? It's like, well, it's just time at this point. And I think still allowing body fat to get a little bit higher to where I'm at a comfortable set point in that I see some of that um, kind of kind of fade off. And because I'll usually get to where I'll sleep about a solid eight, eight and a half hours in the off season un- without waking. Wow, that's good. Um, right now, I'm like seven and yeah. I wake once to pee. Uh, so it's not bad. It's just I know it. I know it could be better. So. I'm going to jump in. This is, like I said, <laughs> off air. It's kind of just a a chat, really. Uh, but I'm like super intrigued, especially when I'm in prep to talk to someone who's just gone through like the same thing as me. How, um, with your sleep in prep, how many times? Like, what's your unfortunate record of like getting up to pee? Like, how how much did that come to? You know, I, I'm I'm pretty good. Um, okay. I'm really in pretty good. And like twice a, a night in that, and that would be um, really like maybe the last three weeks. And I think the, the biggest thing that made this prep so successful is that sleep really was pretty good on prep. Um, I know I mentioned those about the sleep aids, but that really wasn't during the whole time. It, it, it really, uh, throughout most of the prep, I was able to really maintain pretty good sleep quality. And I think it came down a lot to keeping routine really well because like you, Steve, we're online coaching, we're at home, we pretty much dictate our schedule. So I, I could be very monotonous in that sense, which helped. Uh, I would also say that I would not I was not having to run a very large deficit on both sides of the equation, like calorie output. I mean, yeah, expenditure, and then also even uh, how low my calories would get versus my previous Olympia prep. So I wasn't generating a ton of fatigue to where I felt like it would it would affect sleep. So it was more of a longer prep, slowly bringing it down. And, and I wouldn't see more of the normal deviations and, and like all, all everything, you know, food focus, hunger signaling, sleep that I normally would in a prep. Yeah. But yeah, I think like yeah, twice a night at the very end. And it, it really wasn't, wasn't too bad. I could generally fall back to sleep. Um, my only thing was if I had work in my mind, that would get going. And I would lay back down and I would just be thinking on do this for the day, do that for the day. And sometimes I just get up and have to like go to the other room yeah. and, and I, I would work <laughs> until oh, I no. got sleepy. Then I, I know it's like what you don't want to do. Cause I, I had uh, talked with Greg Potter and basically yeah. you would go to the other room 
do something calming and low dim lighting at like eye level. It's like, yeah, okay, check, check, check. Um, but no, I would go to my office with this bright lighting and I would work a little bit and until I got tired and, and went back to sleep. But um, I think thinking back, like and what I've had some clients do is like note down your task of the day, yeah. just like, you know, I have my, my log here of like tasks for the day. Right. So they're not on my mind and they're on paper somewhere. You're not going to forget them. And uh, that, that was a helpful strategy as well, but also just, I, I've already had my room pretty set up for sleep. So I can't say that was anything, anything different. I really think it came down to timing my prep and being able to manage the deficits really, really well to where I wasn't driving fatigue up because the lot, the previous prep, yeah, it was sleep was a lot more challenging and, and even more so earlier preps when I was drilling myself on like the Stairmaster doing cardio Versus now only doing like just walking outside. Like, so yeah. I think that made a big difference in, 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 in sleep. Would yeah, you think, say that's your biggest like knock out of all prep derangements is sleep quality? Uh, for me, that and possibly like irritability. Uh, mm. I get like, I'm not generally a very irritable person and I'm very relaxed and like generally a nice person. But sometimes I find myself like literally... I actually, this is something I would be very interested to hear from you, John, like walking the dog. I'm just like, I get so irritated with the dog and I'm like, I'm taking this out on the dog. This is not good. Did you find that with your animals? I know you got a lot of pets. Uh, <laughs> and yeah, you pushed a button there for sure. It's like with Renee, I can be completely patient. I'm even coaching her, right? So yeah. you would think we would just be like at each other's throats the whole time but it is the dogs and the cats because we have two cats and two dogs and our dogs are big. Like Logan is 120 pound American wow. bully storms, like 80 pounds. And man, they would just kind of like stand in the way, right? They don't, they just, no. they don't know they're in the way. They're just standing there. Um, but I'd have to like move around them and be like, <laughs> you know, it's so frustrated walking them. Eventually you just couldn't walk them because I'm, I'm walking like a freaking grizzly bear, like Logan pulling my arm. Um, it actually kind of like gave me some like uh, golfer elbow from like uh, pulling on the leash so much. So I'm like, I can't even walk you guys anymore, <laughs> but definitely. Yeah. And then I, I, would, I feel bad. Cause like, I'm like, listen guys, we're going to get to the off season. I promise we'll walk yeah. every day. I'll be nice to y'all. <laughs> so I think you're right. Um, that was, that was definitely a, a little bit short fuse with them. But I, I'm like you. I am a pretty patient, chill person. People don't really will get to me. Um, even the people I'm around, and that's a good point on prep, right? The people you're around yeah. can really help manage your your stress levels. But like Renee's just like me, super laid back. Like if something's bothering us, we just get quiet and do yeah. our own thing. It's not outward to anyone. So it was pretty quiet in our house, in other words. Yeah, I bet. Yeah, I go. I'm the same. I go into my shell, and I'm just like yeah. I have no energy for for anyone but that's something i've definitely found where <clears throat> someone might look at me and i'm like you're looking at me different aren't you there's a have i done something to irritate you what's going on like and i'm like i'm not not normally that confrontational or anything so <laughs> not that i say anything but it's uh yeah the irritability and the sleep they're the things that probably knock i will say in the gym i probably do come across as like an ass because i at least on prep like i'm, I'm highly focused in the gym yeah. 
to do my task while I'm there. And so it's not, cause I look at it now as like, this is my job. I'm clocking in. So any distractions or people that want to talk and it's always like, John, quick question for you. And if you ever, I don't know if you get the quick question, Steve, but it's never a quick answer is the problem. Yeah. Um, so I'm like, no one talked to me, but I'm, I'm nice. Of course I'll talk, but it's yeah. very focused in the gym. But if someone saw me, they're like, you have that kind of mo- like thing you're putting off of like, Hey, I'm not here to talk, yeah. but, um, but no, I, I'm pretty still pretty much approachable overall. I think the only like in previous preps, that was an issue was bowel function was really frustrating. Okay. Um, and I think it was just from like following nothing against other coaching that I work with, but you know, the plan was what it was. And I didn't, sometimes we wouldn't know uh, issues or even how to, you just follow the plan and and whether even to communicate certain aspects. So yeah, like constipation would be a a very troubling issue. And this prep was like never a problem. Um, And I think it had a lot to do with like, just, just managing my own food choices. Yeah. um, And eating like really non- bodybuilding kind of not even call them non-bodybuilding foods but but yeah like i'm not prepping on white rice the whole time and starving with no fiber yeah um so i'm I'm, i like pretty much kept about 40 grams of fiber in throughout all of prep through food sources so as i would pull carbs there would be maybe more fibrous sources that would come in play and man that just kept valve function working excellent all of prep did you ever find you had to limit fiber? Like it could go too high or did you find you were okay? I, my only meal that was an issue was I, I would do a salad, a large salad for my meal five. So this is my second to last meal. If that meal for any reason got a little bit too close to the next meal, I would wake up the next morning, feel a little bit more distended than I would want to. Okay. Uh, and then and it wouldn't be an issue. I don't care as much for like, gas bloats like it it's not a problematic thing for me but it is a problem when i was like trying to do vacuums and really trying to practice waist control and pose i was like i really want my waist as small as possible so i can really try to practice that for what it would be on stage that's when it was a impedance and so then i started reducing back to where that salad eventually got down to like it was like 200 grams of just a mix of uh, lettuce onion tomato um what else? I have some bell pepper in there. Uh, that was the only one that would give me, give me a problem, but everything else I had like measured out and really was unchanged. Yeah. So uh, yeah, no, no other issues within that. Um, yeah. I already, already know the veggies that like give me problems like broccoli, like any okay. even small amount of broccoli. I actually even tried in the off season. Renee bought this, this beautiful, like veggie medley had all these like broccoli and colors in it. I'm like, this is awesome. I like, 70 grams of it with some of my other veggies is like immediately bloat for, for like the next day. I'm like, man, that's all I get. And that's one veggie that I really wish I could do. Um, so it's, <laughs> um, do, you have, do you have some standout? Like, do you, do you have to watch your fiber? Does it creep up? Yeah, it, it can. When I'm, when you learn about like, Oh, fiber's great. Cause it fills you up and you can have a lot yeah. of calories <laughs> like, and it's good volume. I can find myself getting tempted to just like be like, oh, I'm going to drop the, you know, it might be rice to potato to butternut squash. And suddenly my fiber is creeping up and I'm like, hmm. So I found if I got above much above 50 grams of fiber, I started seeing problems like just feeling uncomfortable, waking up, feeling uncomfortable. Whereas if I kept it between 40 and 50, which is where it's been most of my prep 
things run absolutely fine. So yeah, I definitely found, especially if I ate too many tempting to eat like raw vegetables as well, because yeah. they have more volume, they chew better, like you use more crunch, but that really got me into trouble. <laughs> yeah. That was, that was one thing with the salad that could be an issue for some probably. And, but, and then of course, like the volume and, and watching it, like I, I, I would add in some pumpkin into my oats for a volume aspect, yeah. but also it was a fiber aspect, but I wouldn't go beyond like 60 grams, which is like, I think it's like five grams of carbs, maybe, maybe two grams of fiber if I remember right. So not a lot. Yeah. Um, but I can see like, if you're, you know, I'm going to do two cans of pumpkin a day. Yeah. yeah obviously this is going to be a problematic. So there's, there's definitely a, a management side of it too. And coaching, like coaching myself or even coaching yourself, you just coach yourself too, right? Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, even then, like you have the ability to like, you have to weigh that out and really kind of think on it. At least with, I'd have like talk conversations with Renee. It was really me just talking out loud and eventually it'd be like, okay, I know my answer. She wouldn't have to say anything, but yeah, I come to those conclusions and, and weigh out the emotional decisions over what is, what is the logical one. Um, one, one thing that did come into the house and cause Renee, she gets really crafty with foods. And so she's like, Oh, look, I found this xanthan gum. We can add yeah, it. To, I've done that. <laughs> not this prep. We can add it as a thickener. I was like, Oh, great. You know? And I looked at it. It's like, okay. Um, I, I know it might cause some bloating and gas, like, but man, just a little bit of that. If for one, it goes a long way, but oh, that was a huge issue. So we're like, that is gone. Like we cannot even use that. Um, and now we're not really looking for diet hacks because uh, hunger is very well managed for us. I'm not a, a huge food eater on prep. So people are shocked at how low my food gets. Like, how do you even eat that much being that size? And it's like, man, I'm just, I'm fine with it. Um, if anything, I have more issues with cardio, but, but diet wise, like I can go very low calorie um, 1500 calories, like hundred grams of carbs, like in it, I'm, I'm okay. I'll still have good workouts and stuff, you know? And, um, but yeah, so I don't really need those items, but if I can make a prep, ease it and make it very enjoyable process, um, why not? Yeah. I'd say, why not do it? I want, I want to enjoy my whole bodybuilding process if I can. And I, and that, I think that also is like, uh, eases the burden of prep of why I could prep for pretty much the whole entire year yeah. is that, I'm able to manage my nutrition in that way. Yeah, I thought it was, and you reflected upon it earlier about kind of making your own foods and meals and not being like a traditional like bodybuilding prep. Everyone thinks like chicken, rice, and broccoli or what have you. Yeah. Uh, but you, from what I saw, you use quite a lot of actually protein powders, uh, quite a bit. Uh, <sighs> I'd be interested <laughs> here. Like, did you, because I'm actually, I'm personally also using quite a bit of protein powder. I don't know what it is about it, but I'm, I can enjoy it a lot. And I'm almost like, am I enjoying this too much? <laughs> Do you yeah. ever find that? Yeah, no, I, I get that. And people would comment too about it. And, uh, I, I, I that was probably an enjoyability preference thing for sure. Yeah. I could do it on my training days. Right. So the way that splits up and how long I would train for, and even during training, hunger wouldn't really be an issue. So even though it wouldn't be probably as high as satiety as doing like chicken in place, um, the, the enjoyability of it weighed out a lot more. Mix it in because I'm also able to mix that in with like my oats, kind of make like this protein cake type thing. So the oats themselves, you know, have have good satiety to them too. 
Of course, you could say, well, why don't you just eat chicken and eat your oats? It's like, ah, it's not the same. I want to mix it. Uh, but uh, it was never an issue, at least for, for hunger-wise, for me. Or I would even do some meals where it might be half and half. So my carbs got really low. Maybe it's like half the amount of oats that day. Well, I would just do a little bit of whey just so I flavored the oats. Maybe it's only 20 grams of whey. Then the rest, not protein, but actual weight. Um, then the rest would be a, from chicken with my veggies. So I would kind of split it up. Yeah. yeah, it's a lot to prep if you have time to do it. But it's a way like, hey, I really enjoyed flavored oats. And so I used that. Um, but I didn't see any, because uh, I don't know if there was something I brought up like artificial sweeteners and people ask, when do you cut out your way? And uh, at least the amount that I was using, it never came across as being problematic. And you would have to definitely, at least within whey powders, they're not like, Sweet low, or I don't feel have y'all sweet low and splendid packets. Yes, I don't know. I think we do. I, like I know exactly what you mean. So low calorie packets. Yes. Yeah. Within those, like each one, they also had dextrose and maltodextrin. Yeah. And if you knew, if you know it, it's each packet is actually 0.7 grams of carbohydrate, which for on prep, you know, we can abuse this stuff, right? So you could do like I've had people that do like 40 packets a day. I'm like, well, wow, if you yeah. do the math that's 28 grams of carbohydrates from dextrose and maltodextrin. Like that's another bowl of oatmeal. <laughs> so, um, so you just have, yeah, I think you're being aware of it, but within way you're already accounting for it within, you know, counting your macros. So, um, and, and GI wise, and it just never was an issue. It goes really, really well. So, but on my off days where I would do more solid foods and, okay. and, to, and manage hunger more, cause I'm not going to the gym. So I would have usually slight more veggies that day and just proteins. I did find it helpful to do less meals that day. I really have larger meals yep. and then I would fast in the morning kind of for a, a decent duration to where those meal gaps weren't as big as, as what they would normally be. Um, but also not trying to like, you know, add food up to the end of the day to where my meals are only an hour apart. And cause I, I get people save food for the end of the day of like fear of being hungry. Um, so it was never like that. It was always paced out, but I, I did really well managing hunger. Um, and I think it was still optimal just to have yeah. like use a card in the morning and I fast for a little bit, do some work. And then when I felt hunger, I would eat and then space my meals out accordingly. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's funny. I've just cause I, it was kind of happen chance. I saw that you were doing the whey and the oats and I was like, it's funny. This is, or I think it was whey, but I'm using, it's a vegan protein powder. It's much of the muchness. Okay. It thickens up the oats probably even better than whey does. Um, so I've been doing the same and I'm just like, I just found myself some days being like on, actually it was a rest day. I was like, I'm just going to do all protein oats today. Cause that's just what I want to eat. Let it cool down, get really thick. I could take my time over it. Yeah. It's just something cathartic almost about that process of cooking it and taking your time, which I realize is probably if there was like, I don't know, a nutrition, well, actually you're a nutritionist, but it sounds a little bit disordered, potentially the, that element, but you almost can't fight it like uh, to a certain point. Yeah. You kind of wonder if what the psychology is probably around that. Um, Cause you can get a little bit disordered in how long you take to prep that meal or yeah. even think of thinking about prepping that meal. Um. So yeah, I guess you do have to be careful with that with that aspect. At least regarding the way too. I also saw some other very large bodybuilder pros doing something similar, like okay. uh, which I'll, a lot of guys because I I've heard this concept of like 
you have to eat solid food to, and you'll grow more that way. Yeah. Right. Or maybe you'll retain more muscle, whatever it may be. It's like, so their argument is like, yeah, solid food will grow you better than eating more like liquid type meals. And of course, I don't know how do you substantiate that claim <laughs> at all. But I also like Hunter Labrada. I'll talk with him frequently. And he's, he's a more of a, a thinker type of bodybuilder, but most of his meals were way. And uh, people were giving him a hard time about it. He's like, it's what I like, you know, and uh, that's basically what it came down to. But yeah, only, I think he only had like two or three solid food meals. The rest were all way. Yeah. So, it, and, you know, um, at least for myself, I think I brought a, a very high level of conditioning. And so I don't think uh, just a bit. <laughs> as, as like a, as an in of one, right. Of just my anecdotal self, uh, it didn't limit me. So it and not limiting me. I, I guess, could you have been better, John? I don't know. I, I maybe, I guess, uh, I don't, I don't think it was a player though, Steve. I really no. don't. So I no, think I, uh, there's some really big levers we pull on and that's a very, very nuanced one that I don't even think holds weight, you know? No, I, I completely agree. It's like, if you blend up that chicken breast, suddenly is that no good now? Like it's a liquid kind of, if you put some enough water with it, put it in a soup or something like it's a, it's now become yeah. liquid. <laughs> be like, well, ground chicken is not as good then. Yeah, yeah. Ground. And then whole chicken though, that's what you really want. Well, really it might be harder to digest the whole chicken. <laughs> I don't know. It's just a, it's a silly conversation. I, I think. <laughs> hey, Pascal here. I just wanted to take the moment to talk about our membership site. Inside, you'll find a thriving forum, an extensive exercise library, courses, presentations, and research reviews. All I need you to do is hit the link in the description below and sign up. Yeah, it's, it's, it was like an argued thought, kind of flexible dieting. Can you really kind of bring the shreds to stage with such an approach? And it's like, well listen to what john's eating the majority of it is like high fiber fruit and veg it's not like it's whey and pop tarts that people are arguing about it's like a different source of protein and you can be that flexible to suit your preferences which i think i don't know people who aren't in the space we're in like it's a bit like really but fast it's like of course you can do that like that that shouldn't even be a like you don't have to eat your broccoli it's causing bloating and problems like go to something that's causing you no problems but giving you the same kind of micronutrition and macronutrition i think that's a that's a great uh point too of like the uh, micronutrition aspect of a, of a prep and i've grown fond of the app like chronometer oh yeah um, I, I just i mean you could use any app just to plug in your food but I, I think I think in using something like that to actually see what your micros are um, from your diet, because I, I truly believe like a, a what is a good diet or, you know, um, a well-planned diet. And it should be one that meets all the macros, but also your as much micronutrients as you can. Um, and some things we have to supplement, of course, but that's the point to supplement to that diet. But to have a diverse diet with enough variety to meet a lot of those micronutrient needs that's really should be what how we construct a good diet and so I, i've used that along with prep to see like how close i really match these things or where i might have deficiencies or, or just low items not deficiencies but and uh i tried this prep to really have a lot more variety in my food sources than i've had in other preps especially from fruits because i've had preps where i do no fruits in the past right. and vegetables so using like a variety of vegetable sources and colors and that really made a difference in what I was able to add micronutrient wise, which I know 
it's it's tough to bring the vegetable conversation to a lot of bodybuilders because it's it's so like hey i just care about building muscle and may, maybe it doesn't matter as much as long as you're not getting deficiencies but at least what's going on in the enhanced bodybuilding world and what's come to light more so lately are all these health detriments and deaths that are occurring and it's like this isn't a shocker these things are happening they're just more exposed now but what can we do the most to to prevent or even mitigate some of the risk is uh, planning out every aspect that you can to promote health and, and and a basic nutrition concept is you look across a lot of epidemiological studies in lots of different cultures lots of different diets and what seems to have like always a uh, common ground is higher fruits and vegetable intake <laughs> it sounds so silly but but yeah your fruits and veggies they, they provide a lot of phytonutrients and can decrease oxidation and inflammation in the body and it's like as an enhanced bodybuilder using exogenous compounds these things promote oxidation and inflammation in the body and it's probably a lot of the underlying reason for a lot of the disease states that do occur so from a health aspect like having a diet that provides that variety in those things is extremely important. Yeah. Um, and to think like, if you're able to bodybuild for five more years, 10 more years, like that's how you're going to get really, really good at this. And so these are the things that sound small now, but can keep you going and be consistent for a long period of time. So at least with my current nutrition, that's what I try to do. And you see our fridge now for the offseason. It's ridiculous. Renee bought all kinds of veggies and stuff that we have, like Carrots, like bodybuilders don't eat carrots because they have like a little bit more carbohydrate, right? Right. Um, beets, we eat beets every single day. And then uh, lots of variety of different greens. But those are ones that have been like some some like different ones that I haven't used consistently. Um, beets, I think just for the overall cardiovascular benefits. Um, carrots, because I like them. <laughs> and uh, and then, then the variety of greens and then adding in, on the off season, I've done this before, a pomegranate juice as an intra workout carbohydrate okay, yeah. um for one it has a lot of health benefits and in, in, in phytochemicals as well it possibly might be able to reverse calcification of arteries which is an interesting aspect of it um but it's a it's a it's a 50 50 glucose fructose mixture which uh if you're using like multiple transportable carbohydrates you might have really good digestion with it um rather than all glucose or all just fructose um so it's kind of like not like I put made a post knocking two birds out with with one stone drinking like a, a juice. And as far as like the antioxidants or anti-inflammation of like, is it going to limit your hypertrophy? Ah, I think that's really overthinking it. <laughs> um, so, yeah, just a, just some just some variety. I think that's been important. I don't, do you use a lot of variety in your your veggie choices, Steve? Are you pretty? Yeah, I was going to say it's this is what you're the thing that's key that you're saying there is that amount of variety is just so healthy and that's a, something that a traditional bodybuilding diet just doesn't have it's very limited i think there's studies showing like like the, uh, towards the end of a bodybuilding prep like a lot of fe- it might have been on females like they have like limited calcium because they're not having yeah. dairy and they're having such limited diets whereas like you said lots of colors lots of variety is fantastic i wish i had more now i have a decent amount but i stick to like the same things because i'm like I can get this much from mushrooms, spinach, and like the peppers and things. But yeah, we get, uh, we order this thing called an odd box. It's basically the leftovers from like farmer's markets and things. And they send us like 
bunch of random stuff I've never tried before. So I get to eat all this random stuff. Cool. Off season, it's great. During prep, it's a bit like, ah, uh, like, do they have this all one I want? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, but yeah, it's, that sounds like a really healthy approach, like what you're talking about there, which I think is the, the key message, uh, which is really nice. And you're getting a ton of nitrates as well uh, with all the beets and the, the pomegranate, which is awesome. Yeah, and like spinach has been my mainstay veggie, like always. Almost every every spot, solid food-based meal is, is spinach, which is pretty high in, in like dietary nitrates as well. So I'm, I'm, I'm definitely, the, yeah. it's high in nitrate, absolutely. <laughs> and then, I mean, to, I guess, turn to a different topic what would you say for this prep has been like what you're some of you are now you're five weeks gone from it what have been some of the key takeaways the the, the things that you think were really good about it maybe things that you wish you could improve upon or you're looking to improve upon well at least um i guess at least looking back way back like my initial olympia 2020 prep i, I didn't come to stage conditioned enough and so that's what really led me this year. Like, I want to be the best condition I've ever been. And it, it's simple, but the, the main thing was time. And I simply ran out of time. Um, one week out from the, that Olympia, I was around 211 pounds. And my I, I tracked a few caliper sites on me just right. as some kind of objective measure. And my glute was around a seven millimeter, which is where I, I don't have, I barely would have a glute line. I have to flex for a good five minutes to see a glute line come out. <laughs> so, um, which is not acceptable for pro level conditioning. Uh, and I just didn't have the time left. I probably needed another five weeks of dieting. And so going into a prep again, because I started from a very lean spot for the beginning of this year, but I, I knew the timeline of, of, okay, when I was at the Olympia, I probably need another five weeks. I can time this now. So using like my data that I've had, I know, okay, five weeks, I should have these caliper sites around this look visually. Um, and I, I tracked that. And that's what really came down to bring the level of condition that I started off the, the year at. And for that first show that I did, um, my body weight low got down to like 204. So, I mean, you know, that, that's a seven pound difference, which is, is significant. And that glute caliper site, it hit 4.5 which is a, a, a large drop. And that's, I mean, just clawed out from the backside. Look like you get attacked by a bear back there, you know? Um, and so that was, that was a, a one takeaway is like, make sure I give myself plenty of time and I, and I have the data to kind of track that really, really well now. Um, also a, a big takeaway was that muscle loss, at least within is much harder than what people make it out to be. Now, I get it. I, I'm enhanced, so pretty much, I, I don't even think it's a. It should even be a thing that we lose tissue on a prep, considering the tools that we have. But also, you need a, a little bit goes a long way as far as performance enhancing drugs go. Because at the Olympia, so remember, I competed in May. I competed again in October, so, and with five shows total for the year. So this was a long duration prep. Um, at the Olympia, my my morning weight was 206. Um, I didn't go below 205 that prep for, for that little stint. Um, I don't think I was, I mean, conditioning was still very, very good, but I brought the look that was better. So I, I, 
I had a little bit more fullness and I sacrificed just a hair of condition. I mean, not much, but it brought so much more to the rest of my body parts that the placing was well, not, it's hard to say placing, but at least visually it, it was a, a better version of myself. And speaking with the judges too, I ran into two of them after the show. They're like, this was the best you brought all year. Like you were very conditioned, but you had the fullness too. And so that was like striking the balance. And I think in the beginning of the year, I was chasing conditioning so hard and just focusing on glutes that you lose sight of other body parts that start lacking some fullness. And you really have to weigh out what is the best version and that balance between flat, full, shredded, maybe a slight softer kind of body, kind of shot for shot. And, you know, I could win stuff from like two poses from the back because I was so conditioned, but you turn around from the front and I lose a lot of my front shots and give up some, some, some poses. So um, that was a, that was a big takeaway of trying to make sure I'm, I'm not losing sight of the balance of, of the big picture. Um, but as far as going back to the muscle loss topic, I didn't lose any muscle in this whole prep. And what I learned along the way, I know you have a lot of naturals that, that you speak to, but at least anyone that is in, in the enhanced community is that um, it taught me a lot about what I, how, how little I can use to, to prep for a show. Um, to give some type of numbers here, I, I don't mind doing that. Um, I'm very transparent in what I, what I do. My, the peak amount of, of anabolics that I was using, steroids, was 900 milligrams total um, for that indie show. And, and this would come down post-show. This is probably why I was able to prep so long, too. Even nutrition-wise, training-wise, right? Like, after a show, it, there, there was a deload that took place. Food would come up. Um, PEDs would come down. So there was waves in this. Um, but going into Olympia, it was only 600 milligrams. Um, so 300 milligrams less, um, you know, which is a significant difference. You have guys that are using 2,000, 3,000 milligrams for these, these competitions. Um, so I, I realized like I, along the way, I would keep using less and less and it didn't impact my look. Um, and I still was able to bring a better version of myself with the Olympia. So I think that was a, a huge takeaway from, for me and what I want to especially be trying to do a, a lower risk model for the, the individuals that I, I do coach. So I learned a lot through myself um, in that. And then also it was very insightful um, looking at lab work frequently throughout prep. Um, I've, I've had preps where, in the past, you basically only pull labs when you think they're going to look the best, <laughs> right. right? So it makes you feel good. So in this prep, I wanted to pull labs under the worst conditions possible um, to see what that, what the overall stress looked like, but also the choices I was using for PEDs, what that impact was and how that might guide my decisions of what I choose to do or what I choose to don't. So it would always be about two weeks out or one week post-show, I would pull labs and I could assess what was working or what wasn't and, and then go about there tailing my, my approach. And so that gave me a lot of insight of like just crossing off certain items that I would just not use because maybe I saw liver enzymes go up really high um, or, or, or maybe the labs looked really good. I'm like, okay, note this down. And so uh, that, that was really insightful. And there was never a point throughout any of the prep that I drew like a red flag, like, wow, this is terrible. I have to stop. So I was able to maintain 
relatively good health markers throughout all the prep. Um, the one that really gave me a hesitation was after I did the Tampa Pro in August. So this was going to be the last show that I did before the Olympia. Um, going into that show, my allergies were really bad. And I got to Tampa, Florida, and they got worse. And then, and then the day right before the show, I get a really bad bloating. Um, food felt like it was up to my throat. Kind of like if you had an, a, a crazy cheat meal eating like pizza and burgers and you're like, can't eat anymore. And then sleep at night, you're like hot you're sweating, you wake up and you're like, oh my gosh, sleep's terrible. Then fatigue was really high the next day because I slept terrible. I was still really bloated. I'm like, man, what did I, I eat? All my normal foods. Um, I barely ate that day for the show. I barely drank water because I just couldn't get anything down. Luckily the show got pushed back a little bit and I finally felt well enough to where like, okay, I can get on stage. Um, I almost didn't go on stage, but anyway, long story. I go back home. I draw my labs and there's a few markers that are like way off. Like for one, my C-reactive protein, which is kind of a systemic marker of inflammation the liver produces was like at a six, which you want it less than one. I'm like, oh my gosh, this is like an independent risk factor for cardiovascular disease. Like what is happening in my body? And then Renee had gotten really, really sick right after the show. And we got her like tested for COVID. We'll come to find out we both had COVID um, we, we thought it felt like allergies to us until show day hit. And then it's like that it was only bad for a little bit for me, but when we got home. That's when it really hit for Renee and I felt fine. Um, but yeah, so come to find out like COVID dries up CRP very, very high. Um, and I was looking at hospitalized cases that it, it was kind of a, a, a predictive value for the severity and outcome of COVID. So you had people that their CRPs were over hundred and these wow. were also the people that likely weren't, weren't going to survive. Right. Yeah. Um, or more mild to moderate cases. They were like in the forties to fifties. So I felt really okay then after seeing my six, yeah. <laughs> but if I saw that and I wasn't for COVID and that would have been, and I see this in guys that I consult with, they're driving up C-reactive protein from high inflammation, pretty much driven through like anabolic steroid use. Um, that would be a big red flag for me to, yeah. to do something different. Um, but anyway, uh, it was insightful drawing labs under peak stress. So I could assess what I'd previously done and what I want to do, um, cool. moving forward. Uh, I'm sorry. I know that's, I can keep going on training and different things. I don't know if there's anything you want to follow up on there, Steve. But Yeah, I, there is actually um, really insightful. And I think particularly for any enhanced listeners we have, like just make sure you're following John and taking a very kind of preventative approach to your health and like taking care of things because it's, it's great to hear that you're doing all of that. And it sounds almost silly that I have to congratulate you on that because I feel like people should be doing it, but it's really good to hear that you are taking care of those aspects as well. Cause I think a lot of people just don't know, they think they're invincible or something. Um, you see it all the time. Um, but the thing that interested me is I think it's, it's something I've been also reflecting upon as I'm coming to the end of my prep is that balance between conditioning to fullness. And in my head, at least it was always a case of, Right. If I can maintain muscle, like you said, you can maintain muscle. If, my, if I'm maintaining gym performance, I should be maintaining most of that muscle. So I can fight for conditioning, get as gnarly as possible, and then peak 
and bring all the fullness back. Yeah. But I'm not sure I'm going to have been able to achieve that combo. And I think, I don't know what it is about, I don't know if it's just being a bit fatter gives you that touch of fullness in some areas that you then dissipate from just getting leaner or you can't peak that amount of glycogen back that you had when you were kind of less dieted down and less conditioned. Uh, but it, it's something I found, I'm similar to you in that, like if I got as conditioned as I possibly could, my back shots would always be good. But my front takes a, a horrible, it just looks horrible when I'm any sort of flat. So I don't know if that brings up any thoughts to, of yours in terms of how you might approach that, like that balancing act, I guess. Yeah, so I was I was pretty diligent throughout the entire day of all of peak week, taking multiple pictures at multiple different body weights, because to give some insight, I, I do like that linear loading approach. That's why I favored as well. It, it's just much a more predictive model. And for those listening, it's just, it, it's basically just slowly, incrementally increasing carbohydrate throughout the week, um, rather than doing like a front or a back load with a, a much more aggressive um, loading of carbohydrate. So I could pretty much try to predict around what body weight uh, I looked my best at. But I got skewed in my looking at this because I remember when I was I was doing my second show um, for New York, and I went and trained with Joe Bennett, the hypertrophy coach, and I was around 209, I think, um, in training. He's like, dude, just go out there like this. He's like, no one's going to be this conditioned. And I, like, I would see it and be like, man, I lost a lot of detail. But my upper body was like full blown, huge. I'm like, Whoa, okay. So like, this is great from my gym shots, but I mean, on stage, I don't know. So I think it, it definitely was my own perception and emotion kind of blurring my, my look in that because I had that fullness to bring. I just wasn't aggressive enough with feeding into it. Yeah. And I could have done that for all those shows in the amount of trade-off that was there. It, it, it was so minor that I, I probably should have done it. Um, and the shows that I was placed in the guys that beat me, they, they were less, they were less conditioned. And even if I had fed up hard, like, like before I would go to bed, I would be like 211 pounds. Even if I went on stage like that, I, I still would have been just on par with them, if not even more conditioned. So I think it was an error and being more conservative on my end. And so it's something that I reflecting back, I would probably feed a little bit more aggressively and just be okay with it. But it's, it's the, I get it, Steve, it's the roll of the dice, right? Cause you're worried you're going to get too soft going out there. Um, but yeah, it's, I would say though, um, I don't think it, it hurt me though, pulling down that much because I was ready ahead of time. And so two weeks out, I was already ready to, to increase food into the show I think if you landed there and were that that depleted and flat and you had that much fatigue on you because you've maybe been running an aggressive deficit to give you the timeline to bring that physique back to life, I don't know if you would be able to do it within just that short span of a peak week or even a shorter span of a few days before the show. So I think you do need to pull down, but I think you need the timeline to pull back up and it needs to probably be longer than that that week to really do so um, because even doing that many shows, I could still reach that condition level 
but there'd be moments like post-show, you know, you eat again and you see that look come. It's like, I could have brought that to stage. Um, and I know you've just done one show for the season. I don't know if you caught that look for yourself ever in that whole process where you, you saw the balance strike and you're like, that's what I should have brought to stage. Yeah. It's, I think it's, I find it really interesting because there's so many variables changing, like you go through the peak and then you dig. And then I don't know if you do some more higher carb days, was it, I don't know, was it the previous peak that led to you now being more sensitive to carbohydrates and now you kind of take them in better and yeah, it's, it's an ever kind of evolving process and learning. So, but I have found the linear load just from the perspective of it being just a great opportunity to build confidence every day. The look kind of improves every single day. Whereas yeah. I did do uh, just a, the weekend gone. Yeah, the weekend just gone by. I did a rapid backload because I was like, I, I just linear loaded into the show the week prior. I dug for a week. I was like, I don't want to like leave any time here. I just want to like, get some fullness quickly and experiment but i just i didn't enjoy that day at all and the kind of the it's the throw of the dice a little bit obviously you can practice it but how often do you really want to practice such a thing and again variables change so yeah it's i i just similar to you i think this time as i come into my final show which is um a week saturday i'm just going to be more assertive with that push-up i think like for someone like yourself, where you are so conditioned, like you said, even if you were to lose a smidge of that for an extra allotment of fullness, it's probably worth the trade-off. Whereas I think if you're not conditioned enough, like whatever peaky approach you take, you just want to be conservative. Well, I think um, with finding that look, because that's what I try to, I put together in my model and like J3 University is like, Every every day of peak week is basically trying to mimic your show day, yeah. almost. Variables change, environments change, of course. But you'll find that body weight that correlates to the look. It, and honestly, I know you, you're not going to be judged off your scale weight, but that look, it's not going to vary that much off scale weight. Like a, like a, a Steve at whatever body weight, two pounds heavier, a few days later, that same two pounds is probably going to look about the same. Like me at 205 – one day and then 205 the next, like it might be pretty close. Um, so I would try to find that throughout the entire week and see how much to how much food and fluid it would take to get to that mark. Um, sometimes like for me to get up to that, say I woke at 204 to get to that 211 mark, like, man, that, that would take me all day of eating and fluids. So if I knew that was my best look for stage, I'm waking up and getting the stage at 9 a.m. Well, that doesn't give me all day to eat and drink fluids. So how do you hit that? Well, and so that's why you have already in your mind, okay, I need to be hitting that on, on show day. And so a lot of like my strategies, at least the weight that I found that I liked was like 207. So waking, I was around 204-ish. It's like, okay, well, I'm going to eat a little more, more before bed. I'm also prior to um, like stage night, uh, I'm going to wake up in the middle of the night when I pee and have meal and f- some fluids to where I don't have as big of a drop. So I don't have to catch up as much in the morning. So then I have those two meals I get in and bam, I'm, I'm 207 to walk out. So I think all that's helpful in finding that weight and correlating it with the visual you like. And then you can monitor the scale weight 
and try to nail that for the stage. And I think from a, a self-coaching aspect, it gives you something that's a little bit more objective, like a scale. Right. Um, versus just looking at visuals and having to get skewed because sometimes to get lazy, you just stand up and look in the mirror and be like, all right, cool. You know, <laughs> versus like taking all your picks and comparing them and doing all that like you would with a client. Uh, so, you know, I think doing all those is are, are def- definitely uh, helpful in, in trying to find like the, the visual to correlate with that. Um, so you find it, yeah, find it during your, pe- your, your weeks, your days leading up. And then you try to like land that weight around the time you'd be going on stage. So I carry my scale around with me, like, cause you're right. The environment changes, which is a problem, you know, from when you're at home to, you know, the show you're moving around a bunch and you're just like, sometimes you can't really get quality picks and you might have to look in the mirror, but you could have your scale. So I would just take my scale with me backstage and everything and be like, okay, what's my weight at? Like, Oh, should I drop two pounds? Like, um, and, and look in the mirror, I can be like, okay, I, I probably do need to put a little bit more food fluids in. Um, so I don't know if that I might have some, some takeaways, but I think, uh, I think with the linear load, it's much more predictive to be able to find that look and wait and repeat it day after day to land that on show versus doing those rapid approaches. And I think if you have a great coach that has practiced with that and has the eye for it, it, it's, it can work. But I see there are a, a lot of variables moving around and I don't see it practice many times. So it can be really hard to land it. And, and I guess that's a, a riskier model that I, I don't like to deploy. Yeah. Hi guys, Steve here. Just wanted to take a moment of your time to remind you of our online coaching service. At Revive Stronger, we pride ourselves on providing personalized service that will take your physique and knowledge to the next level. If you're interested, check the description and sign up. Yeah. Yeah, I try and kind of build up, like you said, you build up through the week. You try and find kind of your ceiling of carbohydrates and then just near the end of the week, hopefully, because otherwise, I guess, how long can you maintain that high intake and it still look all right? And then try and maintain that. I think like if if you know you're super flat waking up in in the morning, like, okay, I can put more food in. Or you're not seeing body weight rise, like, okay, I can put more food in this next day. And it's just a, an, a, an easy way to toggle between. Um, one thing I would mention, too, is that um, I ran fluids high all the way through the show, except for show day. I, I would have some slight limiting of a fluid, but never cutting a fluid. Okay. So it's like once I found that body weight, I would bring my carbohydrate into a level that I knew wasn't driving body weight up. So... For example, usually I know 60 grams of carbs. My, my body weight would rise incrementally after every meal. 40 grams would seem to hold it pretty well, but I would correlate that water intake to the food amount as well. So if before I was doing like two gallons of water a day, which or this is like 50, 50 ounces of water between meals. So on show day, I might have this reduced that to where I can keep that balance of not seeing my scale weight continue to increase. So it was only a very short duration that water was just reduced. Um, and I will say for my enhanced people out there, uh, I never use diuretics for any of these props. And that's the one thing that I, I think is highly dangerous in the enhanced community is diuretic usage. And it's just another roll of the dice. And I, I really think most people just aren't conditioned enough to begin with. Right. And in, in, if you aren't, those things are only going to make you look worse. 
because worst thing you could go on stage is you're, you're still fat and you're flat. Um, at least be fat and full. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so just, I think get, get shredded and you're not going to be having any extracellular water to even be a worry. Um, yeah. You won't have like shrunken fat cells and you won't have water around these fat cells. And so you don't have to worry about that aspect. So, yeah, no, on all these preps I did, that was a thing too. How can I come super conditioned? Uh, run a peak myself and also i don't think i need diuretics and i didn't use them so awesome. it's just a, another way to have a, a more predictive peak if yeah. if that monday before you know whatever six five days out i am could walk on stage well hell i'm just gonna walk out there like that and not uh, take it take a gamble no i i love that approach and the kind of repeatability of things um the only thing that's ever thrown me about the scale is uh, if you possibly like lose some uh, stress water retention and so it comes down and your look looks better but you're like oh but i should my previous good look was this and i guess that's why you triangulate like you try and have uh, multiple sources so you're like okay so two of them are pointing in this direction so that's probably yeah. where it's going yeah you're absolutely right steve and i had i had that moment happen too um because i when i hit down I have to look back on my exact numbers, but there was one day at peak week where I dropped an extra like pound and a half and I had more food the previous day. Um, but one change that I had made was a, I started to do a fiber reduction. Right. Yeah. And there was just less GI weight. Yeah. And so it wasn't that, Hey, feed more because you got flat. It's like, no, no, it was just my, my waist felt like I could suck my belly button to my spine. Like it was like, and I knew it right away. Like my waist is tiny yeah. Um, and it was an improved look. So yeah, of course with, with scale weight, it, it could easily be able to like jump up a, a pound or so from, from G, just GI and, and bowel movements, or um, like you said, even maybe that let poor sleep. But I think, I think visually you would probably see some of those things. Like yeah. even if it was like inflammation or water retention, it likely is going to be on top of a physique that's already a, uh, holding a certain level of glycogen. So usually we'd see those body weight maybe increase, but I think you're right. You got to weigh it all out. Of course. Um, it just, it is just some kind of guideline to go by. I think if, I think within what you do with this, with self-coaching and being as meticulous monitoring it, it's a close thing to go off of. Um, but I even think with a client, cause you know, the issues with coaching online clients is like, we sometimes, man, we don't get all the best picks. Sometimes they're like, don't even send you picks because they're like running yeah. around, they're late. And so, um, you know, a scale might just be maybe a pretty good estimate for us to go yeah. off of. Like, if we're seeing in some crappy lighting, like, man, do they improve in conditioning? Like, I, I can't see it right. But then you see, like, okay, their scale weight jumped up, but then they also look look softer. It's like, okay, maybe they're a little too full or the scale weights down and they look softer. Okay. They're probably a little flat. Yeah. If you didn't have the scale there and you only saw that they look softer, it might be a bigger guess for you, right? Is it full or is it flat? And so that's when I found the scale kind of helpful in that seeing how it floats and how that person gets softer and which side of it, you could say it's flat or full. Um, and so, I don't know, there's, there's an application to it, but again, like anything, don't chase down that one variable and only go off that because it, it might lead you down paths to make 
make poor decisions. No, that's incredibly well said. And I mean, just talking through with you here, uh, if people's, I don't know, if they haven't thought about peak week to this detail, and we're talking about, you're not really varying many, we're not talking about varying many variables. It's like literally no. mostly just carbohydrate and maybe some Absolutely. fluid shifts that go along with that. Um, and maybe, uh, I guess you said you reduce fiber a little bit, but it's not like you're going from 50 to naught. It's like, I don't know, probably a yeah. 10 yeah, gram manipulation yeah. or something. So, uh, I don't know how people monitor and change things and know what variable to adjust if they, uh, don't kind of, yeah, if they change. I, I, I truly things. believe Steve that it's, it's a formula that's yeah. kind of given and it works sometimes and sometimes it doesn't and to be able to break it all down and and i'm very like nerdy and meticulous i'm sure you are too uh to to do all that together and sodium and water and that like it, it, they're not to go back and be able to say oh that worked i don't think you're going to be able to and uh, not to take anything away from those approaches i just yeah um just see them very problematic um even like sodium i i keep it pretty constant. Like I, I don't, I know some people might raise sodium as they raise carbohydrate, but I'm not substantially raising carbohydrate either to where it would justify like a, a sodium issue that it would be so low that I don't have the right carb uptake. Um, yeah. even potassium is, is like, I just keep, keep those variables constant. Um, the only other one would be fats. And even with dietary fats, um, I, I do a pretty low fat diet and I get a lot of shit for it uh, because I think of this, like what's been preached on like hormones. Yeah. And uh, I really think it's, it's more so you're just, you're in a low energy availability state and you're going to have low hormone function. Yeah. Whether you add fats or not, it probably won't matter. Um, but I really have carbs for training. Well, anyway, I don't want to get on a rabbit hole, but fats during peak week, um, I have enough in place to where, I think intramuscular triglyceride stores are, would be sufficient. I don't think they're a large impactor in actual muscle volume either. So I, I've seen like some of the fat loading approaches um, and even some of the more like evidence-based are like running kind of a fat load than a carb load than this water reduction. And man, that's, that's a lot to, to really manipulate yeah. and seeing how people end up from beginning to the end. I don't see a vast change, honestly, and I'm almost like, could you do a more predictive model and still probably see, I think, about the same outcome, but also I think you might have a, a more enjoyable peak week because I know some of those people that doing those more vast approaches, like you had said, like putting down at like 800 grams of carbs, like, oh my gosh, this is like the GI distress is huge. Or all of a sudden you jump up from, I'm at like 20 grams of fat to like a hundred grams of fat, like oh my gosh, like the GI mess that that is, even the psychological mess that that is of adding in that much more palatable foods. Yeah. Um, I don't know, it, it, it might not be for the, maybe for the right person, I guess. But yeah. um, at least with fats, I don't do anything with like fat loading. I, I pretty much, they're brought up a little bit, but but that's about it, you know. Cool. Yeah, it's, uh, I won't keep you too much longer because I know we've already been an hour, but I, after I did the rapid backload um, of 800 grams of carbs and I was very sleepy that whole day. Um, I did a fat load the next day as like a cleanup day and a trial okay. of fat loading. So I brought my fats higher than I've ever purposely brought them. So it was 140 grams, which I was down at 30. So it actually didn't give me any problems. And it was very enjoyable from like a, 
like eating yeah. that, that that many fats but I, I don't think i it maybe held the load as such because now i was maybe burning through the the fat more than carbohydrate but i i didn't really notice any big difference there and i'm not, I'm not a hugely mas- muscular guy having loads of intramuscular triglycerides to try and fill out so um i'm I tend to be on the same sort of line of thought as, as you. And I think for peak week, people like, uh, it's not sexy. Just like yeah. being like, we're not going to change much. We're just going to slowly ramp this up and monitor how you look and weigh. And we're going to just land that plane nice and smooth. Whereas people like all this stuff moving and being like, oh, I can do this for this and diuresis and things. And I, I've no doubt there's a lot of credibility and people have a lot of success with that. And hence the the paper that's out there. And I interviewed Scott Stevenson on it. And I'm Absolutely. no doubt it works really well for him, but yeah, it's, I think he also has said many a time, like you need to practice this. If you're ready right. in time, you probably, you might not need to take such an approach. You can be very simplistic with your approach. And so for some people, they just need a plan to follow. <laughs> yeah. I think like you, you have these guys like that, that are in that paper that are very experienced in using that approach. Right. So, yes. uh, and, and they also realize that there's not, that approach to you. I think that's also the beauty of like listening with Scott, talking with Scott Stevenson is like, he knows he, it's not going to ever state like this is the right and only way. It's like, there's a variety of ways to do this. This is one way that he's found that has worked well and that he likes. So um, yeah, there's, there's several ways to do it. I think that you have to find with what is your comfortability level and uh, what you're okay with psychologically as well, yeah. and what you feel like you can manage and, and be able to get a repeatable or, or and, and learn from that experience. So uh, there's definitely ways to go about more advanced peaking. I don't even want to call it more advanced because I feel like I'm, I'm going to say I'm advanced. <laughs> just about. <laughs> and, and, you know, it's just, uh, I guess more, I don't know, more nuanced or I don't know, whatever you want to call it. Um, but uh, at least I never want to walk on stage and, just have those last days be the reason that I, I am like 80% out there. Yeah. Right. Um, I much rather not let that be the variable that ruins my, my whole prep for me. So for sure. um, I, I have more comfortability with that. And it's in this whole year of doing five shows, it's uh, panned out uh, really, really well for me. So I, um, I <laughs> ideally didn't want to do that many shows. You, you hope to win one. <laughs> and, uh, you know, I was like so close so many times, but oh, well, I went off points at the Olympia and still um, had, a, had a really good showing out there. So my uh, it was interesting because some of the guys that had been beating me all year, I, you know, I go into Olympia, you compete against the same guys. So you can kind of have an idea about placings. I was like, okay, I'll probably be, maybe 12th or 13th, this might be an outcome. You know, it might be, um, these guys have beat me, like how much can I improve? And then I end up, um, placing ahead. A lot of these guys that were beating me all year. It's like, well, damn, I could have won these other shows, but yeah, we all come in different. And at that level, a, a little, little changes can really shift us around. Like it, it really is that close sometimes. Um, so you know, overall, like, I was really happy with, with the whole year being able to kind of improve show to show. Yeah. And, uh, and it was, it was, it was, uh, I'm going to say it's, it's a fun to, to kind of like beat out some guys that had been beating you prior, but it flips, it goes back and forth. And what's really cool about the two twelves and, and at that level is that you see these same guys every show. 
And so y'all are all friends back there. There's yeah. never there's like really a cool camaraderie about it. And we're all in, like in, encouraging each other back there and, and helping each other. So, cause it doesn't awesome. impact what the judges None. decide, you know, and anything, I want to see those guys bring, bring their best yeah. to see where I really stand and know where I can improve. I don't want guys to not be able to show up or, or, or miss the mark in some way. Cause I know how that feels and it sucks. So, um, so it's cool. You hope everybody nails it and can uh, can bring the, their best look. But it was a uh, overall the whole the whole experience this year was was awesome. Um, but I do know a lot of areas that I want to work on because most of the time I was at a body weight low of like two hundred four to two hundred five. So and that was finally me being like as conditioned as I think I might ever be. I don't know. Um, but still, that's like seven eight pounds of stage weight, which is huge. Yes. Um, that goes so far. I think a lot of people don't realize how much stage weight that is and what that look does. Yeah. So I have a lot to where I can really maximize the two twelves and that's with me not even having to struggle to make weight. So, um, that's the plan now is to really add size to those area body parts where I see that get flat, um, mainly uh, delts, chest, tries a little bit of trap. Um, everything else like legs is my strong point it like never never fades away uh, so that's priority now this off season and I want to be able to see myself be at the top end of that 212 and maximize it that's really what my goal is here is okay. like see my fullest potential 12 and, and then go move on from there whatever that means yeah um, which I don't know what the timeline looks like for that because they moved Olympia back to December this year Okay. which gives me some extra time in the off season uh, over a year. It's like, there's a possibility. I think I could add that stage weight in that time period and still have time for a prep. Now, this is me never having really a, a much of an off season to begin with. Gives me about an eight month off season ish, which uh, I know for a natural to add that much by stage weight would seem a very challenge, but within the context of myself, considering I haven't really done an off season, pushing food high. I'm also very conservative in, in my approach with uh, PEDs. Um, I really think I could probably do that. But again, health is a priority, top notch. I monitor that, that'll always guide me. And then also will, um, if I'm not quite there, I, I might sit out the year and wait till I can really display cool. the best version of myself that I want to see. Amazing, John. I think I could probably talk to you for ages. I had a, I had a load of questions actually that I was I had planned to ask, and I'm going to have to bring you back on because it's such a fun time just chatting through things and bring you back explore. on, Steve. I'm happy to keep chatting. <laughs> <laughs> what have you? You still got time? Are you good? Or uh, I'll bring. No, you said do, sorry. Bring you back another... on. Sorry, it cut out. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I could do another like 15 minutes if you want to jump into like in the, like one more question. Uh, I, I'll, I'll leave it here because I think that was a nice place to end it and we can talk. I wanted to talk about your off season anyway and your approach to that. Okay. So that sounds really, really interesting. And I think um, people love hearing from you and I, I, I want to bring you back on. So thank you so much for spending the time with me and I'm very excited to watch your off season just like you've documented your whole prep. I'm sure you have even more energy now to put into off season and education, which you're doing. Uh, I want to make sure people know where they can follow you and learn. Um, so yeah, share away. Yeah. So uh, mainly share through Instagram at John Jewett three. Um, my 
I don't do, I'm not taking on any more clients for coaching anymore, but I, I do mainly do all my work is through like you, Steve, I have a, um, a membership site, but it's a, it's a more focused education platform called j3university.com um, where I basically have a full coursework of how I teach nutrition, training, managing stress, sleep, every, everything you want to know to bodybuild and then bring that all back home into how you would carry out an off season, a prep and manage all those variables all the way to like what we just talked about today. How do you peak? How do you find a look? How do you nail it on stage? And uh, so that's been my coursework. And then, so that opens up the, the first weekend, first week of every month for new student enrollment. And then I have some little side off modules. We just came out with a applied hypertrophy module. You can sign up for any time, which um, Luke Miller, he, he's an educator that I brought on. We go to the gym and basically go through each muscle group of how to set up what is the function of each muscle and how do you set up for your own personal self to get the most out of every rep from getting. So if y'all want more information on that, check out j3university.com. And you've got your podcast as well in case people have podcasts where yeah you talk about these things too. So if they want a taster and then they dive in. I'd be down for it anytime. Cool. All right. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, guys, definitely check out John's resources. Uh, if you want to get big and jacked in bodybuilding, do it healthily, <laughs> do it, do it evidence-based way as well. Uh, John is your man. So again, thank you so much for coming on, John, and we'll catch you soon. So I'm Steve Hall, founder of Revive Stronger and a coach of Revive Stronger. My name is Pascal Floor. I'm the co-owner of Revive Stronger and also a coach, of course. Revive Stronger has probably been going solidly for three years, probably roughly about three years. Revive Stronger, to me, it is becoming kind of my child, my foster child. It's the gathering and getting together of like-minded people. We've been expanding the coaching team, which is helping us help more people. Uh, but each coach can only help a certain number of people. Right now, it's all over the place. We have YouTube, we have Facebook, we have Instagram, but there isn't that community aspect behind that. And so the next step for us is developing a membership site. So basically, we want to create a family and a community that is then benefiting from another a really cool community for people within our little niche. It's going to be a website. They will get early access to our podcast. You can access us, ask us questions, the community aspect. We have a forum there. You can ask questions, but also you can, you can lock your journey. There's also going to be courses on there, courses, presentations on different topics, discount of past seminar footage. We will log our journey as well. We'll start vlogging. We're gonna have documentaries, our entire athletic journey. Furthermore, they get access to an exercise video library. The exercises that we love for hypertrophy and maximizing hypertrophy, we're gonna go through those in depth, telling you how to execute them. We kept them concise and also mobile friendly so that you can watch them in between your sets. I'm super excited to grow this community. The amount of value that we're gonna be delivering is huge. And I'd love you to be part of it. You will get so much out of that. I'll see you inside.